people are still falling out. That's the whole point, is that it's yeah. not, doesn't, and you can't, the other thing is you can't retrofit those uh, red brick units to be, to have AC. Stringfellow and Ramsey can't hold air inside, like can't hold cold air inside them, even if you put, like you tried to put central AC inside them because they're built to like be exposed to the elements. Well, they're designed to, they have those, you know, the pipe chase with the exhaust fans in it so that when they open the windows, they turn the pipe chase fans on their exhaust fans. So it pulls the air in from outside through the cells, through the the grate and out the ceiling, but it doesn't work. Half the, half the stuff's broken in those buildings. I mean, those like Darrington was built in what, like 1934 or something. Uh, Ramsey was built 19. It's over. It's like, it was, I did the math on it. I remember because they had in well, one of the bathhouses. The, 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 the red brick buildings were built, I think, in the 50s or something. I think much, it was much later, maybe the 60s even. No, I think the Ramsey unit, it had, I think I, it count came up to like 119 years old or something like that. It was a crazy number because it was like, um, Oh, what well. with the year the the bathhouse, like because it, it had a date on the bathhouse up there, on the on the Ramsey one unit, on the Ramsey one unit, yeah. Well, they had one, one of the on first that, ones. That's what I'm saying. They had that's the bathhouse. We're talking about oh. the red brick. So the Darrington unit was opened in 1933. But if you study like the. Uh, like go on Google Earth and have like look up the they have that history function where it shows you the history of a location. Mm-hmm. You'll find out that these places were like slave plantations and, and uh, things oh, yeah. like that. Yeah. Long before, I mean, if you were out in the fields over there on the Stringfellow unit, you'll notice that they have that graveyard that's up on a hill. Yeah, you can see it from the trustee camp. Yeah, exactly. If you ever go out there, they've got gr- inmate graves from like the. 1800s over there. So they obviously had inmates being held there in some form or fashion long before they had that unit there. But it was like, it was completely different. Like you were talking about this before. It's like, you know, you've got guards that have like the somebody's great grandfather worked for the prison system and he was a field boss or somebody else was a ward and, and people lived on the units. I mean, they used to work the shit out of people. I remember the first time I went to prison, you went to the fields. It was no, it was no cakewalk. You were going to head high. As to nuts, and you were going to sit there and just—I mean, you were going to—you're going to sit there with a hoe, or as they call it, an aggie, and you were going to—you were going to chop grass. Yeah, they weren't holding people in there as long as they did. They did what they—they—I mean, wherever I got down, they had two halves and all that stuff. It was yeah. And uh, the the difference was was that I mean that was going to be like a six month thing at the most for most people. People Shit. didn't stay in the fields the whole during long periods of time. Oh, damn. Did you know David Witt was, was an inmate killed by a guard on the Darrington unit in who's, 2020? Who's David Witt? I have no clue. I was looking up some stuff about mm-hmm. it. And it just it showed up in what I was reading. Does it, uh, give the, does it, was the officer uh, found guilty or what? Oh, it's a YouTube video. So, Oh, he was found. Oh. Not guilty? I'm surprised. Yeah, he was found not guilty. Yeah, that's par for the course. Oh, wow. Okay, so prison sergeant, Texas prison sergeant, is found not guilty of aggravated assault despite a video showing him slamming an inmate 
41 into a concrete floor so viciously that the man died. Yeah, that's the one I talked about in the, in the episode uh, where I was in the studio with Ryan. Yeah. That's that's the guy you were talking about? The, oh, yeah, the, the, one, the one he's talking about just then. Not, that, that's not yeah. the same guy that he was a... Uh, I think that he was... Is that the same case that you were talking about earlier? Or yeah, it's the same. Okay, it's, yeah, that's the same one. Yeah, you can look at the picture of the guy and you could like see the mental illness on this <laughs> inmate's face. He's obviously mentally ill. Yeah, he doesn't look. Uh... Yeah, that guy. You can see it. He's got that. He's got that kind of under the the underbite thing going. That that uh is a telltale sign of something's going. Something's wrong up there. And what is the Texas's uh, solution to the mental illness problem? Put him in prison. Yep, and give him Thorazine. Yeah, give him lots of Thorazine and and put him in prison. And then uh, when some guard sl- uh, slams one of them so hard that it ruptures his liver and kills him, well, we'll exonerate the guard. But if that same guy had been put into a mental hospital and this dude did that, I mean, it would have been a different story. You know, I was on the when I was on the Estelle unit, I can remember they had a guard that slammed a blind inmate because the inmate bumped into him. And, I mean, no, nothing nothing came of it whatsoever. The guard would always, people would, like, talk to him, like, why would you do that? He said, oh, he, took, he bumped into me. I don't know who he is. I don't know if he's blind, real. I don't know what he's got. There's always all these unknowns. I don't know. So that means that because I don't know if the dude had ill intent or was uh, faking like he was blind or whatever, that means that it was okay for him to, to pick up and slam this blind guy. Well, they're just looking for an excuse anyway. So, I mean, I get it. it it's because they're just, most of the guards are assholes anyway. They're just looking for a reason to try and slam somebody to the ground. Or, yeah, that, that, there's a reason why people would choose that as a career choice. I mean, and, I, and don't get me wrong. Careers attract different honest, types of people. Right. But on the same token, a lot of, the, I mean, you've seen that just dudes in there that are just complete fucking assholes. That, well, so those are not the guys that they fuck with, though. I, I, okay, just shut up and listen to me for a second. You always interrupt me. Well, that's because I know better. No, so you got some dude that's, get, it, you know, some asshole, so he just decides to take out his aggression on somebody else, on somebody else this week. Because what does a bully do? He picks on somebody weak. He's not going to pick on somebody that's, that's, he feels like he can beat him. And that's all those fucking guards are, is a bunch of bullies. I can see it. And yeah, they're real tough whenever they got, you know, five or six. Yeah. Whenever they're all by themselves, it's completely different. Should you get these these hard ass hard ass laws that are out on you know on the run and general population that are all like you know these tough guys and everything else? You put them in medium custody by themselves on the run, and they're quiet as a church house mouse, and they're all up at the cell like, "Hey, what's up, homie?" and all this that and the other. And you're like thinking, man, you know what, bitch, fuck you, because they're just. You know, they want to act completely different in medium custody because they know everybody there doesn't care. Yeah. Oh, I've, yeah, I've seen it. You know, I've, uh, I can, they, it wasn't always this way. Uh, it used to be like in the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s and all that when the guards were, man, I'm talking about they might have to fight. I mean, they, and they knew it. So, you know, the guys that were coming into prison that were, that were TDC guards, I mean, they were dudes that could handle themselves. They're, they're, those were dudes that you know that you would think twice about before you, uh, you know. I've seen a field law jump off his horse, take a shirt off, and fight with an inmate. Well, I've seen that too. <laughs> okay, but what I'm trying to say is, is that you would have some of these guys. 
some of those guys, they were, I, I mean that they were more honorable about how they handled that type of situation. Well, right. They weren't, you know, if they did fight with you and all that, if they jumped and took their shirt off and all that, it wasn't going to be a case situation. They weren't going to get all these other guards involved if they lost. Right, true. And they, But also, it's like, it was totally different. I remember on Clemens' unit, like, walking down the hall, and my face is just swelled up. And, and the boss was like, hey, what happened? I'm like, fell out of my bunk. He's like, all right, keep, keep moving. You know what I mean? But it's like, they... They even turn the other way when you would fight, like you're fighting other inmates. You know what I mean? Now they got all this Priya crap, and it's like, you can't do nothing. <laughs> well, I mean, that's is that really a bad thing? I mean, I understand where you're, I, I, I kind of get where you're going with that. I agree with you, but in one, on one token, yes, I agree it's a better thing. On another token, I don't, because a lot of those people, the only thing they understand is an ass whooping. They don't understand anything else. This is true. Pre- but th- whenever, whenever you create an environment where that's okay, well, then you have these other people that are, you know, uh, victimizers or whatever, right. that then will turn around and take advantage of people that are smaller than them, and whenever there's no consequences to that, then it turns into a... No, I agree with you, too, on that, because, I mean, you remember seeing people, like, sitting on the floor because they couldn't sit on a bench, yeah, not, or they couldn't sit at a table. Yeah, and paying, having to pay protection. You remember all those extortion signs? Those extortion used to be the name of the game. I know it. I've seen people go in the commissary line and bust like that. Back then, it was a sixty. They bust a sixty dollars store, leave their bag, and another dude walk up behind them and go to the store and buy an ice cream and leave with their sixty dollars bag of commissary. Yeah. That's crazy. You were gonna fight for your commissary yeah. back then. Yeah, you, you really <laughs> would have to. I mean, I I can remember I was on units back now when I was a teenager. And I would have to time my commissary, <laughs> know you know, not around my wrist and all that, because they had dudes that oh, cut the cord. Would, would, <laughs> would, um, no, I'm not. Yeah, bag, everything all the way up to the actual bag itself, yep. tied around my wrist. And whenever, because whenever you were walking down that hallway, one dude was going to come up and just take off on you, just walk up and start <laughs> swinging it. on you, and then his homeboy is going to be behind him, waiting on me to drop the bag to defend myself, so he could take and off with take off with it. And I'm laughing about it. It's not funny because it is definitely not funny when you're going through it and you're green and you know absolutely nothing about the prison system. And you're sitting there thinking to myself, I'm going to get killed up in here. You know? It's, it's not. I mean, that thing can get real dicey real quick. That's why people get stabbed and all this other kind of stuff is because they were putting people in situations where, I mean, it, was, it gets to where it's like life and death in there. I mean, really. They really, yeah, they uh, greatly outnumbered, and and there's a permissive atmosphere that says it's okay for for uh, you know, robbery and assault to uh, happen. Well, then you know it's, it can get down. It's it's wild west type of situation. Yeah, you're gonna have to uh, you, get hands. Not just hands. <laughs> I mean, uh, so if you don't have hands, what do you do? I mean, it's either. Man, okay, so I was on Clemens Unit, right? That's where I went. When I first went to prison, I went to Clemens Unit, and it was, they called it Burning Hell. And it was just, I mean, you got there, I had to fight the whites, the blacks, the Mexicans, and there were a bunch of Asians, so I had to fight them too. And there was this. Asians? Where, yeah. where did they there ain't no bunch of Asians? Well, there was like 10, so that's a lot of Asians in prison. Oh, yeah. But literally, there was this little bitty-ass white dude. I mean, this dude couldn't have been like five, two, right? And he was skinny. And this kid, I seen this kid get beat up so many times, but eventually people's like somebody new would roll up on the, you know, like I was in the cell blocks and then we'd be sitting in the day room and somebody new would roll up and they'd drop their mat and be waiting for the run the in and out. 
and this kid would be in there and somebody you knew would come up and they, you know, dude thinks he's badass or whatever, wants to go and pick on somebody. He started talking shit to this kid because he'd be sitting on the bench, right? But he had done earned his respect. And it got to the point where finally people were like, everybody else would be like, nah, look out, leave that dude alone, homie. You know what I mean? Like everybody else was taken up for him because they knew the kid had heart. He would fight. You know what I mean? And that's, that's what it was about over there. But I mean, I literally, I mean, thankfully, I mean, he wasn't. Okay. Here's a question for you guys. This was on that podcast I was telling you about. Tell me if you've ever heard this phrase before. Heart test. Oh, it's a heart check, but yeah. Yeah, it's heart check. It's like quarter check. That's whenever they put yeah. the little, those little uh, things on your chest. <laughs> like an EKG? Yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. So like when I rolled up to Clemens, right? So I get there. I got a fight in diagnostics, and that's why they sent me to Clemens. So I get to Clemens unit, and I roll up. I go in the day room, and immediately these white dudes come up to me, and they start talking to me. And I'm like, what's up? And they're like, man, what's up? And I'm like, man, I don't know. And I'm green. I had been out on bond. I was in the county for like 30 days, and then I hit the prison system. And there was no transfer facilities and all that crap when I entered the system. I went straight to diagnostics and then went to my unit. So they're like, look, uh, who you rolling with? And I'm like, nobody. And uh, they were like, all right. Well, he said, pick two of us. You're going to have to fight. And I was like, what the? What the? And they're like, yeah. So I had to pick two dudes. Really, they picked them, right? But it was. What do you mean? You didn't get, so you didn't get to pick them? Well, they said I got to pick them, but really they picked the dudes. But so I fought those two guys, right? And it was my heart. There was a heart check, not a heart test. So then after that, I had to fight two black dudes, then two Mexican dudes. And then, man, I'll tell you, the Mexican dudes were the worst. And then I had to fight two Asian guys. So it was back to back to back to back behind the handball wall on the, on the, uh, on the red yard. But I mean, that's what it was all about. Heart heart test. You need to get your heart, heart test. Yeah, you get your heart tested. EKG, yeah, I, I was like having a it was a pain. That's <laughs> <laughs> before you got hit. <laughs> Man, the, the what's worst back then was you would have these freaking riots, and there was a riot in the chow hall one morning at breakfast, and it's just complete chaos, and they slam the doors, and it's like they just start pumping gas in there. And it's like, doom, 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 because they're shooting a, they have like, looks like a freaking grenade launcher, and they're it's shooting, yeah, they're shooting tear gas grenades into the chow hall, and then they're chunking cans in there, yeah. and it's, at, and it doesn't matter, and it's like, so after, pretty much the fighting's over is when they come rolling in there, and back then it was a big VHS camera, you know, and they got, they, and they're all gassed, you know, masked up and stuff, and here we're all like, oh, dying, and they, they hog tie us. Yeah, literally, we're hogtied in the hallway. We're zip ties. Yeah, zip ties. Our ankles and our wrists behind our back, Ooh, and our ankles to that. our wrists. For and hours. Yeah, you cannot move. You can't do shit, and you're just covered in this gas, and it's just like, yeah, it's painful. Oh my god! And then everybody's getting a major case. Didn't matter what you were doing in that chow hall. Yeah. <laughs> They're not going to review that tape. Nope. Couldn't be, find out if you were part of the riot or not. Oh, you get inciting inciting a riot case. And you know, but back then a major case didn't affect your parole like it does now. Yeah, and they understood. I mean, but that is kind of a funny thing because whenever you uh, like come off a of parole now, they like, well, you know, what's your case history like? I mean, they, I mean, nothing over the last twenty years given that a single case. But then they look back in the nineties 
and it's assault by assault <laughs> fight, assault fight, inciting a riot. I mean, one after the other. It's just like the the court system in the world. They're going to hold every single thing they can against you here. Yeah. That well, I mean, it doesn't at the end. It doesn't even matter because most everything was the second you the second you went to prison, everything everything from before is ultimately decides most of what it's going to make your parole. No, any like basically the, the way the voting works, like the, or that, that algorithm that they have for, yeah. If someone makes parole is all based on it's the severity of the case. What type of case algorithm? What are they, what are you talking about? What do they got? They have a formula basically. And they have this, like they go back, didn't they ask like a thousand different questions about all like, Dude, they went back further on asking for when I saw parole this last time, they are asking me questions and I'm getting like, this lady's asking me stuff that I'm like, I'm like, lady, that was 30 years ago. Do you really think I remember that? Tell me what you were doing 30 years ago. And she got a little like pissy with me. And I'm just like, they're asking me stuff that's completely irrelevant, but it's all part of their algorithm. It's like they enter in all this, 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 and this. And so the computer takes all that information and it makes a prediction on whether or not you're you know, you should be released on parole or not. You're talking about that, uh, what did they call that? The risk assessment code. Yes. Yes. Okay. That's the thing that uh, was holding me in prison for all those years. And the things that, because the risk assessment code isn't even necessarily uh, have anything to do with something that you've done. Yeah. It can, it, it, like for me, it was the age that I committed my offense and it was the, uh, the education level that I had when I committed my offense, those two, those things, that, uh, those factors right there, which is something I can never change, uh, put me in the highest possible risk of reoffense for some reason. But you're a criminal. No, I'm not. I mean, other than the fact <laughs> I committed a crime, but I, is there anyone on this planet that has not? I know, but that's a general. I was talking with my boss about this, about. You know, because I, I was talking to a customer and I was like, you know, what's wrong with the system is it's the whole system of design. It's like where everybody believes, oh, you did a crime. So you're bad. You're a criminal. You go to prison. You know, it's like. And they don't ever let you make. <laughs> they don't ever let you redeem yourself. Or, or... No. And it, it and it's like the general consensus with the media and with everything else. It's like, oh, you did crime. You get locked up, you know, go on timeout. So, all right. I, I found the this the chart here you're right malone it's the risk assessment it says prior to the prior to 1983 the texas board of pardons and paroles used salient and significant factor score sheets when making decisions in 1983 the board adopted the pablo scale to the aid pablo. members yeah that's what it's called <laughs> in applying crit the similar criteria to parole decisions I wonder the same thing. <laughs> it's an acronym, but it doesn't say what Pablo stands for. Um, in 1985, the legislature mandated the board include parole guidelines with minimum release criteria into decision making. And based on research, the parole guidelines were to consider serious of an of offense and the likelihood of favorable parole outcome. Um in 1987, the board combined the Pablo scale with parole guidelines that measured parole risk to set a parole risk score. In 1996, after conducting a study of guideline usage, 
the Criminal Justice Policy Council recommended that revised guidelines be developed to ensure that the criteria reflect board policy to apply the guidelines in a consistent manner to all candidates for parole and to predict the risk of public safety. So, um, and then they came up with a new... There's a spin on that. On the that you were a teenager. So that means you can, you are irredeemable because what you did when you were 17 is obviously a reflection of what you're going to be doing all during, uh, for the rest of your adulthood. Right. And so looking at this, um, so here are the components of the guidelines. They have the static factors, which are things that will not change, are the age at the first admission to a juvenile or adult correctional facility. History of supervisory release revocations for felony offenses, prior incarcerations, employment history, and the commitment offense. So depend you like that is your first four first scores on the risk assessment. The next ones are current age, whether the offender is confined to as a confirmed security threat group or gang member, educational, vocational, and certified on-the-job training programs completed during the present incarceration, prison disciplinary conduct, and current prison custody level. An offender can be assigned 0 to 10 points on static factors and 0 to 9 points on dynamic factors. A low score is associated with low risk. The higher the score, the greater the risk in granting parole. As a result, of the 2012 the highest risk do they say what the highest risk score is that can be achieved 10 or more so you could get the highest be in the highest risk category based on just static factors they had some kind of uh they were telling me something like like they called it a d2 or something like that was the name of the category which meant you were at the highest level of reoffense. and i don't i'm trying to figure out how and that scheme of what you just said, I ended up in that category. There's... So for Pablo is for Pablo Torres. It was a... Uh, oh, him. Or Pablo Velez... <laughs> Pablo Velez Jr., excuse me. Uh, that's what... Professor? No, he was an inmate that was falsely locked up or some shit. But anyway, that's what the Pablo is. I was curious. I looked it up. He was falsely locked up and they named this test after. Truth and facts of an innocent man wrongfully convicted in Harris County. Yeah. A D two. That's weird. It might yeah. it might be another. Um, maybe it's just based on your dynamic versus your static factors. That's the only thing I can see on here that you would be like a D two, like you'd have two dynamic points or something like that, because you. That's what it's based off of, like the points that you get on here, and. So the two the two components of the guidelines, um, risk assessment and offense severity are then merged into a matrix that creates the offender's parole guideline score. Okay, so there's actually two. There's a there's an offense severity that goes along with it, and they might be using the ABC on that. So you can. The risk assessment will get you a number, and then you can get get a um, severity. 
on here it's all numbers so the highest severity is one and then the highest risk level is one so that puts you in the worst category and then the lowest severity is seven and then the lowest um risk level is seven so then that would put you on the other end of the spectrum that was with the whole entire uh, epicenter thing uh, that got the the group that sent the lawyer and all that. This mm -hmm. was the whole entire uh, debate was that was about that risk assessment code and how it put in the, and how it uh, put me in that category. They had to go and basically make an argument that I mean that the code is nonsense or at least parts of it were to get me out of that category. At least in the they didn't ever get me out of the category. But what they did is they, they caused the category to be questioned in the minds of the parole people. The shakedown was produced in luxurious Longmont, Colorado. Envato Elements provided our theme song, Shakedown. If you want to support us, you can find Shakedown shirts, hoodies, and more at waywardpress.com. That's W-A-Y-W-O-R-D-Press.com. If you have ideas for future episodes or cool stuff you want to see us make, let us know in the comments on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram at at Get the Shakedown. 